It's Thursday, October 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Maria Gallagher. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. We've got a beverage company posting big numbers, and we have a hot automotive stock that is not named Tesla. But we're going to start with eBay. Third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected for eBay, but you would not know that from what is happening with the stock because shares of eBay are down 7% this morning. What is this guidance? What's going on here? Yeah, so they did have revenue up about 11%. Their active buyers were down now two quarters in a row. They're still at $154 million. Their second quarter of uh, GMV declined as well, so two quarters in a row of both active buyers and GMV declining, and their annual active sellers is flat, plus they had kind of um, tepid guidance going into the holiday season, which is always something you want to have higher guidance for. Um, something that I thought was pretty interesting as I was looking through, though, is that I think there's some kind of fascinating implications with authentication. So. They're continuing to expand that authenticity guarantee program. So they are launching that with sneakers. They added 30 brands to their catalog within sneakers. They're also doing price guidance and collection for trading cards. Um, and so there have been 4 million cards purchased on or off eBay that have been added to these collections. And so I think that that's kind of a fascinating thing where you see companies that can maintain a specific niche can survive for quite some time, right? And so I think if eBay kind of leans into this niche of saying, you know, really good trading cards or sneakers or things that are rare and you have to look for them and you have to have some sort of authentication process, I think that could be pretty interesting for them. But I'm not too, too surprised that the stock's down a little bit. Obviously, we're going into an important quarter for a lot of businesses. Um, eBay is certainly one of them. And yet, you know, it, it, it it's interesting to me that eBay kind of gets not forgotten, but but dismissed. Um, there there are just a lot of people in the investing community who just sort of like saying, man, you know, what are they really? They sort of blew it. They had PayPal. They let it go. I mean, this stock's up thirty five percent over the past year. It's a market beater over the past five years. I know. I, I, I don't know. It's it's it's. I've got a soft spot in my heart for eBay because it's. Uh, it's constantly dismissed, and yet, if you're a shareholder and you've been holding for a while, you've been rewarded by this business. Yeah, and I do think it's important to note, I mean, they have 154 million active buyers. Even with that decline, if you compare that to you know, Etsy, I think is a comparison a lot of people draw, Etsy has about 90 million, so it's still really massive. A lot of people still go to eBay. It's still top of mind for many consumers. And so I think that they have a stronger platform than I think people give them credit for. Last thing before we move on, did they offer any guidance in terms of what they expect to be spending in terms of marketing over the next few months? Uh, my memory of 2020 um, when it comes to this business is eBay was spending a lot of money marketing, trying to get as many of those holiday shoppers as they could. I didn't see that noted, but I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to ramp up that spend on marketing. Um, and they they have been ramping up additionally buybacks and dividends. So they are trying to allocate their capital well for shareholders. Shares of Ford Motor up nearly 10% this morning after third quarter results were much better than expected. Ford also raised fiscal year guidance, citing strong demand. So yes, the chip shortage is still going on, but Ford says things are getting better this quarter and they expect that improvement to improve, uh, to continue into 2022. 
Yeah. So quarterly revenue was about $35.7 billion. They increased your guidance, like you said, for the full year. Uh, they are resuming their regular dividend in quarter four, which is really exciting for them. Um, and they were talking about, you know, they have high demand for new products with their EVs, um, their earnings power in North America. With Ford, what I think is really interesting is you see a pretty strong concentration with sales in the U.S. So they have market share in North America of about 11.2%. It goes down to about 6% in Europe and 2% for the rest of the world. And so in 2020, the best-selling car in the whole world was the Toyota Corolla. Ford was number six with the Ford F-150. But it's actually the Ford F-150 is the best-selling vehicle in America. So I do think with Ford, it's really interesting to see specifically U.S. consumers and the demand for new cars and the continuation of the loyalty to that Ford brand will be important, especially as you have you've had that demand over the past year and the supply with the supply tr- constraints haven't been able to quite meet that. But seeing that uh, in the next couple months, um, we'll see how how they do. Yeah, and this is yet another situation where I just want to fast forward six months and, you know, with the release that's coming early 2022 of the EV version of the Ford F-150, it's going to be really interesting to see what the demand for that is, what the deliveries look like. Um, if they can keep up with that. Certainly when they announced it, I think they had somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 um, reservations. Uh, I don't know if they were actual orders because it didn't involve money being put down, but I think it was in the first 48 hours, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 people were like, yes, I'm very interested in uh, possibly buying this vehicle. Yeah, I think that that's what we're going to see is we have this demand in general. They're thinking that auto sales in 2021 is going to be uh, an increase of 7% in tw- over 2020, and they're not quite reaching t- 2019 levels. But I think we're seeing really strong demand tick back up. And I mean, we're getting closer to the happy Honda days, which I think just really marks when we have the holidays, everyone re- really is ready to go with uh, buying cars. Wait, what? The ha- happy Honda happy- days. Is Honda, Honda has pay- that, they have Honda that pay- whole thing. Are they paying you to promote this on the show? I, I don't know, but I think or of it that, every or year. Or that's just one of those like things that's burned into your memory from childhood? Yeah, I just feel like every time I turned on the TV, it was always happy Honda days. And I just think it's a good play on words. And so I think of it every year. I don't own a Honda. I probably, I don't necessarily will buy a Honda, but I do think about it every year. It's certainly a much better play on words than happy Geico Ween. It's like, yeah, look, Geico, you do a lot of things right when it comes to marketing. Just please, it, it, like the geico it's not working. Just move on. Just figure, like do something else next October, please. Anheuser-Busch InBev sold more beer in the third quarter at higher prices, all of which led to surprisingly strong profits for Budweiser's parent company and shares of AB InBev up 12%. This is... This is impressive just on its own. It's even more impressive when you realize they're doing this at a time when they're dealing with higher input costs. Yeah, so their revenue was up 8%. Their total volumes were up about 4%. So their people were spending more. Non-beer sales were up about 8%. Beyond Beer, which is their segment that's mainly hard seltzers, um, is adding profitable growth. It had over a billion in revenue uh, year to date. What's interesting here too is that there's a lot of strong growth in South America. So Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, 
um, have all had really strong growth. growth. Brazil had top line growth of over 15% and beer volumes there reached an all-time high. Um, South Africa also had really strong growth. So I think that that's pretty interesting. And they're talking about expanding into the Dominican Republic and seeing, you know, where they get traction outside of the U.S. Um, And so they're, they're, expanding more as well into that hard seltzer line. They're scaling the Mike's Hard Portfolio, um, the the Mechalub. I don't actually know how to pronounce that. It's a word I've only read. Uh, their hard seltzer is leading in Mexico with about 50% market share. So they it was a really solid quarter, and I'll be interested to see um, how, how demand continues in the next year or two. Uh, yeah, this is one of those quarters that reminds you for as much as Budweiser is a quintessential American brand, this is a global business. Um, and their ability, again, their ability to put up these kind of numbers when they're also dealing with uh, shipping issues like pretty much every global business is, they're dealing with higher input costs. Um, there are times when having that global footprint can represent a risk in terms of weakness in, in certain international markets. This is one of those quarters where AB InBev demonstrates the, the strengths of their international footprint. Yeah, that diversification strategy is really strong. And it's also uh, kind of fascinating, too, that during the pandemic, people started kind of shifting more to spending on spirits when people were home. Um, and so their distiller's revenue was up 8% in 2020, which was their fastest growth in 40 years. So um, I'll be curious to see how people are now shifting back to beer and how e-commerce grows with beer. That's another thing that they noted as well is that direct to consumer through apps and stuff. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to look at consumer spending habits within within this area. Well, and along with consumer spending habits, where where do states and localities go with regulations around alcohol sales? We've seen a lot of loosening of that, certainly with restaurants and getting alcohol to go and that sort of thing. And um, you know, it, it it could be depending on. Look, you, you never want to buy a stock where. There are so many variables that you find yourself using the word if many times. You're like, well, if this happens and if this other, you know, and all that sort of thing. But the state and local regulatory picture, there's a version of it where it very much moves in the favor of businesses like Anheuser-Busch InBev. And obviously, they have competition from the likes of Boston Beer Company and others. But this is the biggest one. Like, like this is the behemoth in the industry, and they've got more levers they can pull to take advantage of a more favorable regulatory environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they have enough connections and diversification, like you said, all over the world so that it can help them. And if it hurts them, they will be able, hopefully, to kind of balance out that hurt with some other growth. Last thing before we move on, do you think, um, and, and, and I don't know if they gave any indication of this on the call, um, how, how acquisition inclined do you think this business is right now? We've certainly seen um, smaller players, whether it's in the beer space, certainly the hard seltzer space, um, we've seen smaller players pop up. Some of them struggle. Um, for a lot of them, their goal their end business goal is to be acquired by a behemoth like this. Um, did they give any indication of that? And and if not, where do you think they're going in the next couple of years? Well, I think that because the U.S. was down a little bit compared to 
international growth, I think that that would be a natural place to look for an acquisition, especially they have some of their hard seltzer brands. Um, so it could be something interesting kind of beyond their typical beer beer brand. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that. Two housekeeping notes. First, uh, Earnings Palooza is happening on Motley Fool Money this week. Um, after the bell today, we've got uh, the latest results from Apple, Amazon, and Starbucks, among others. We're going to hit all of those and more on a very earnings-heavy uh, Motley Fool Money. So check that out this weekend. Also this weekend, sometime on Saturday, uh, this is both a promise and a warning, um, a bonus episode of Market Foolery is going to show up in your feed. It is our apropos of nothing episode, me and a couple of friends talking about a lot of things other than investing. So if you're looking forward to that, great. That's coming sometime on Saturday. If you're looking to avoid that, uh, consider yourself warned. We get to wrap up. This is the last show before Halloween. So you're the last analyst to weigh in on overrated and underrated Halloween candy. And uh, people have been uh, reacting um, people are very passionate about their candy. If social media is, a, is any indication, people are very passionate about how they feel about analysts on this show calling out their candy as being overrated or underrated. Um, so with that, what are you going for overrated candy? Well, I'm coming in passionate. I love candy. I love chocolate. I have very strong opinions. I do think, wait, the question was overrated, right? Which one is overrated? Okay, I I don't like Snickers. I Wow. I know that that is a pretty hot take and I'm expecting some pushback. But I looked at to determine what was what I could find over or underrated. I looked at the map of how many states had of what the most popular candy is in each state and I think like 5 states had Snickers and I'm I just I just don't think they're that redeemable. I don't like them and I don't like stickiness. So it, it, it's the sticky it's, it's the stickiness. It's not the nuts. No, I love I love um, chocolate with nuts. I think it's the caramel and the bottom. I don't know what the texture is at the bottom, but I don't like it. I believe it's called nougat. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's a no from me. Hard no on Snickers. Okay, underrated? So I, I really like the bags of candy where you just get a bunch of small chocolate. But in that, I really love a Mr. Good Bar. Just classic <sighs> nuts and chocolate. And I just think every time I get a Mr. Good Bar, I'm excited. It's, it is a candy uh, close to my heart and my taste buds, uh, and therefore probably my arteries. But yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on Mr. Goodbar. Bill Mann and I were talking yesterday about the you know the day either the night you get back from Halloween if you have siblings and and you're trading candy, or just the next day you get together with your friends and just the whole prospect of like I've got this candy, I'm interested in trading, and it's uh, for a lot of kids their first introduction to value. Like, how do you, it's like, look, if you like Mr. Goodbar and there are kids who don't like it, that's an opportunity for you to like trade away your Snickers. Cause you know, to your point, Snickers is a very popular candy. Yeah. I think it, it teaches kids. We used to do it um, in terms of my grandma taught me poker when she was babysitting me. And that was <laughs> how we, how we played was we used candy and, and chocolate instead of, instead of chips. That is a great grandmother. Yeah. She knew what she was doing. Maria Gallagher, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.